So these last few weeks feel like a year, right? It's not just me. Right. It's like the first 100 days weren't crazy enough. And as political reporters, the question we keep asking ourselves is how much will this all matter down the road? Are these President Trump's problems or are they the Republican Party's problems? But Reed, I have a theory. The best way to measure how much of an impact all the swirling scandal will have won't be in a public poll or anything like that. The best way to measure it will be in a few weeks in the Atlanta suburbs. Hey, I'm Reed Wilson, and you're listening to The Hill's History Cast, a podcast on the history and culture of American politics. And I'll start with an admission. The speed with which this Russian investigation is unfolding puts us in a weird position. We're all kind of worried that by the time we dive into some element of this story, some new twist will come up. So instead, we're going to take a step back and look at the broader political ramifications. Here's my colleague, Lisa Hagen. She covers campaigns and elections for the Hill. And right now, she really cares about suburban Atlanta. That's because Atlanta is going to give us a hint about where all of this is headed politically. When voters go to the polls next November, they probably won't remember the specifics of this week or this month. But a midterm election is usually a referendum on a sitting president. And the damage President Trump is doing to his own image right now is what's going to matter to voters next year. So we political reporters obsess over every little hint about the mood of the electorate. And the earliest indications we have come in these special elections in U.S. House districts across the country. Lisa, why should we care about voters in Atlanta right now? Let's get a little more specific than just Atlanta. We're talking about Georgia's 6th district, an affluent, well-educated, and mostly white district north of Atlanta. This used to be Newt Gingrich's seat. Until January, it was held by Tom Price, who quit his House seat to become Health and Human Services Secretary. And now voters will get to pick his replacement in a June 20th special election. And the candidates are the Republican Karen Handel and the Democrat John Ossoff. Right, and it's Ossoff, the Democrat, who's got everyone's attention. He's this 30-year-old investigative filmmaker who's never run for office, but somehow he's managed to raise this massive amount of money. And all the outside groups on both sides are pouring cash into TV ads and field staff. Georgia isn't the only state with a special election. Three other districts still have to elect new members after incumbents quit. Today, the day this episode gets released, voters in Montana will pick a replacement for the congressman that President Trump nominated to be Secretary of the Interior. Voters in South Carolina will pick a new congressman next month to replace the new director of the Office of Management and Budget. And there's a district in Los Angeles that's open after a Democrat left to become California's attorney general. 18 months before Election Day, these special elections are the only games in town. And they're weird just because they happen at such a strange time on the calendar. They happen outside the normal constructs of an election season. And a lot of voters aren't paying attention. Plus, many will be on summer vacation. That means the two parties have to work extra hard to turn out the vote. We talked to a bunch of political strategists who have worked on these races, and they say specials are the most intense events they go through. Here's Ian Russell, who used to work for the House Democrats campaign arm. There's always an extraordinary event that leads to a special election, and that that takes you from zero to 100 miles an hour just like that, and then doesn't let up. So everything happens on a more uh, intense timeline, candidate recruitment, fundraising, trying to clear the field if you're worried about a divisive primary, um, vectoring in outside resources, all of that happens on a much more highly caffeinated schedule than in a regular uh, election cycle. And here's Guy Harrison, who used to run the House Republicans campaign arm. Anyone that has ever worked at the DCCC or at the NRCC 
all groan when they hear the word specials because um, it's it is um, it is very intense. It is like preseason football. You've been waiting around for an election for a while. Everyone's very focused on it. Um, and much like preseason football, I don't know that we really understand what the effect of that um, day's play is what, or what um, happened during a special. Both Ian and Guy said special elections focus everyone's attention in the absence of any other concrete political data point. Special elections raise the stakes because they focus the media on one particular moment and on one particular district. You see the media focus um, generally on one single uh, congressional district in a way that you never see any other time. And that's why we're all so obsessed with this race in Georgia. It's a pretty Republican-leaning district, and if the Democrat wins, that sends a clear signal that Democrats have momentum. Right, and Democrats came pretty close to winning the seat outright in the first round back in April. Ossoff got 48% of the vote, just a few hundred short of the number he needed to win without a runoff. Handel finished second, but way, way behind Ossoff. There are a surprising number of prominent members of Congress who first won their seats in special elections, like the top two Democrats in the House, Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer. But the really important specials are those that signal there's a big political shift underway, which is what could be the case if Ossoff wins in Georgia. In retrospect, you can like target certain races to say, ah, look what happened here. This is, you know, this was a sign of things to come. That's Eric Ostermeyer, a political scientist at the University of Minnesota and the author of a blog called Smart Politics. He pointed to two specific special elections back in 1994 when a Kentucky Democrat died in office and an Oklahoma Democrat quit to take a new job. Republicans had never won the district in Kentucky, but then along came Ron Lewis, this Baptist minister who owned a religious bookstore. Most Republicans thought Lewis was going to get smushed. Lewis spent the campaign talking about Bill Clinton, the unpopular Democratic president who wanted to raise taxes on tobacco, a big cash crop in the district. Lewis beat his Democratic opponent by 10 points. In Oklahoma, a Republican named Frank Lucas won a seat Democrats held for 20 years. Lewis retired a few years ago. Lucas is still in Congress. Here's Guy again. I think the um, myth of the special election really starts with 94. Um, you know, you look at the Frank Lucas win and the Ron Lewis win, and they, they quote-unquote showed that everything was going to change. And here's Eric. But it was considered a huge upset at the time, considering, you know, the the long stretch in which Democrats had, uh, had, had held that seat. Of course, just, you know, about a half year later was the Republican Revolution. In the 1994 midterms, Republicans won 54 Democratic seats, and they took back control of the House for the first time in 40 years. These harbinger races happen all the time. In 1973 and 1974, after Watergate, Democrats won five of six special elections, and then they swept out a bunch of Republicans in the post-Watergate midterms. Before 2006, when Democrats won back control of Congress, they won these really deeply Republican seats in Mississippi and Illinois. And then right before 2010, Republicans won a heavily Democratic seat in Hawaii and a more blue-collar working-class seat in upstate New York. And those elections really demonstrate the impact these special elections can have. They send a message to other members of Congress, maybe some of those who are thinking about retiring, that the political climate is going to be really bad for them. Here's Ian. That's what happened in 2010. You had a lot of blue dogs just head for the exits as they saw Democratic numbers degrade over the course of the election cycle. See, the real battle here isn't over a seat in Georgia or one in Montana or South Carolina. Those alone won't change who controls Congress. But when an incumbent member of Congress decides not to run again, it's a lot easier for the other party to win the seat. 
So Democrats really hope right now that they can use one of these special elections to convince a bunch of Republicans not to run again. Remember, there are 435 seats in the House. That means either party needs 218 seats to win control. Right now, Republicans hold 238 seats and Democrats hold 193. So between the special elections and next year's midterms, Democrats need to win another 25 seats to win back the House. Both parties also use special elections to test their messages to figure out what's going to work with voters. I remember a special election I covered in Nevada back in 2011. The race was in Reno, and Democrats had thought they'd found a way to attack Republicans over Paul Ryan's budget, which would have cut a bunch of money out of Medicare. When I sold my editor on the trip, the Democrat was running like two points behind the Republican, and Democrats were about to start hitting the Republican on those Medicare cuts. Then the Republicans fought back. Guy Harrison was around for that election. The Democrats had had a successful message of um, starting to talk about privatization of Medicare. So we, we decided to work on that messaging and really start um, going back on the attack and, and understanding how to, how to message that particular issue. Um, and uh, I think we were very successful and we actually used a lot of, that, a lot of those findings later on um, in 2012 and um, saved a lot of seats because of that. Remember I said the Democrat had been running close? Well, by the time I got out there to cover the race, the polls showed the Republican was winning by like 20 points. I remember going out for beers with the Democrats' campaign staff just a few days before the election, and they'd pretty much given up. Republicans used the same message from Nevada in a bunch of other races that year. Special elections are really rare. Ostermeyer says there have only been about 75 of them since World War II. Most of them take place when a member of Congress either dies or when they take another job. But the rest happened when some congressman quits because of a scandal. Duke Cunningham in California and Tom DeLay in Texas quit their races after they got embroiled in the Jack Abramoff scandal. Congressmen like Chris Lee and Anthony Weiner, both of New York, quit in the midst of sex scandals. And there's a reason we have to fill these seats through elections. In most states, if a senator dies or quits, the governor gets to appoint a replacement. But the Constitution specifically says representatives have to be elected by the people rather than appointed. That's from Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution, quote, When vacancies happen in the representation of any state, the executive authority thereof shall issue writs of election to fill such vacancies. That section of the Constitution also says the House can choose its own speaker, but it doesn't say the speaker has to be a member of the House. So every now and then you hear some rumor that a non-House member could be elected speaker, but it never really happens. So as President Trump struggles with low approval ratings, Democrats grow increasingly confident that they can win back a bunch of seats in next year's midterm elections. A president's approval rating is one of the biggest factors voters consider when they actually go to the polls. Here's Ian Russell one more time. At the end of the day, the most important factor on election day 2018 is gonna be Donald Trump's approval rating in these districts. We tried to, no matter how we tried to spin it during the last eight years, the most important thing was Obama's approval rating in all of these districts uh, when, when the shoe was on the other foot. And now the Republicans are going to, tend, going to contend with an unpopular president um, whose numbers appear to have degraded specifically a, along the lines that Republicans need to hold if they want to limit their loss of seats in the House. And the first indications whether Trump will be this big albatross around Republicans next will come in Montana, South Carolina, and Georgia. That's why we're all so obsessed with voters in suburban Atlanta. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Let us know what you thought about today's episode and what kinds of stories you want to hear in the future. Drop us an email at podcast at and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hill History Cast. 
Our thanks to Guy Harrison, Ian Russell, Eric Ostermeyer, and his Smart Politics blog. You can find all our coverage of these special elections and everything else going on in politics at thehill.com. Our producers are Lisa Rule and Mara Whiteman. Lisa Hagen, thanks for joining me today. I'm Reed Wilson, and this is The Hill's History Cast. Thank you.